0: need rate cuts or do we? Motley Fool Money starts now. Welcome to Motley Fool Money. I'm Deidre Willard here with Motley Fool analyst Bill Barker. Bill, how's your Thursday going?
1: It's going great. Thanks for asking.
0: Well, Bill, I'm, I'm here with you to talk a little macro today. So, you know, yesterday was, it was a Powell day. Uh, we had Fed Chair Jerome Powell's conference yesterday. No interest rate change. That was expected. But we are now, I would call it, on, on cut watch. You know, Powell has said he's kind of, he's prepared to, you know, keep the ship steady, keep things uh, where they are for now. Market didn't love that. It's kind of shaking it off today. But should we have really been surprised? And why not just cut the rates?
1: I think because you can't have your cake and eat it too. Uh, and That's what the market wants and always wants, and that's what the rest of us all want too, is uh, to have it all. Uh, But you can't maybe have the GDP going along at above 4% uh, growth, which it was uh, on the second half of last year, and the, the forecast on uh, GDP now is not a lot of data yet in for Q1, but uh, projected it above four percent by the Atlanta Fed, the Atlanta Fed's model. Anyway, um, so the growth is fine. Inflation uh, has has come down, but is not at the target rate, uh, and uh, the employment. Picture continues uh, to be excellent. And why would you change what has been working? Um, for wh- which one of those things is the problem? And uh, the minor problem is that inflation is not yet at 2%, it's at uh, about 3%. So uh, the reason to have uh, had all the interest rate hikes was to address inflation, and uh, the job is not quite done yet.
0: Yeah. And, and Powell has been very clear every every time he says 2% a lot. So we we know that's important to him. But it's, you know, on, on the other side, before the beginning of the year, you know, everybody sits around and says, oh, we're going to have six cuts. We're going to have seven cuts. It's going to start in March. Well, it's starting to look like maybe it's not going to start in March. So if the forecast for inca- interest rate cuts kind of shifts, Every everybody's models, everybody's forecast kind of shifts. And I'm wondering about some of the companies that were really kind of betting on that rate to go down so that they can restructure some debt. So if if the cuts don't happen, you know, till maybe June, how does that impact all of the companies that were really planning on it being March?
1: Well, if they really need interest rates to come down by Twenty-five basis points or fifty basis points uh, in the first half of this year, then uh, they're not very good companies. Uh, That's not uh, the the Fed has never indicated that there are going to be that many rate cuts. That's uh, that's people hoping there will be that many rate cuts. And why are they hoping? uh, There has to be some element, I think, of. A weakening and uh, sort of more rapidly weakening uh, economic picture to get that many rate cuts. So, uh, I don't know what the equation is that gets everything that you would want um, and, and six rate cuts. It's, it, it's not going to happen. And the Fed's telling you it's not going to happen.
0: Well, yeah, the Fed's telling you it's not going to happen. People still sort of say, well, it might happen. But if I think if it does happen, then we're in a position where perhaps we we don't want to be, and so you made a really good point there. That I just want to sort of emphasize is that the companies that really really need this to happen, those are probably the zombie zombie companies that, that maybe have too much debt anyway, and so you know they're that's that's they've got a bigger problem than just waiting on Powell.
1: Yeah, if you have in any way structured your. Company or your own finances, uh, in a way that requires interest rates to get back down to something approximating zero or you know very very low rates, uh, then you've got to rethink uh, what what you've done because uh, that that was the anomaly of a five percent range for the Fed is is not some sort of weird thing. It's uh, much more historically repeated, then, you know, this is a near zero rate uh, level that we enjoyed. I I get everybody wants to enjoy borrowing money for free. I would love to do that too, but it's not going to happen.
0: No, it's, it's that, that was definitely an anomaly. So part of this is also the, the soft landing. I'm so sick of talking about the soft landing, but we have to do it. Uh, You know, the, and it, it's a delicate dance because you need this, you need this solid labor market, but not too solid because that's that's not so great either. And that can lead uh, to, to inflation, which we're trying to get back down to that 2%. Looking at the sort of hiring market, Bill, it was it was a it was a rough January. It seemed to me like not not as rough as last year, according to one report that I saw. But it definitely uh, was the second highest layoff total, according to this report from Challenger Gray and Christmas, and lowest hiring outlook since 2009. So good for soft landing, but as I watch companies, big companies that I respect and invest in, do some deep cuts. I'm sort of thinking about what's happening here. So we had we had two just this morning. Uh, Okta's cutting 7% of their staff. Deutsche Bank is cutting about 3,500 jobs. When we see all these layoffs and we're looking at this soft landing, how, how do you kind of balance all of that?
1: Well, it, those are headlines and those are real numbers and those are real tragedies for the people who are suffering the job cuts. Um, but on the other side, we don't see all the the job hiring, which ends up producing these monthly numbers, which have been reasonably consistent at about 200,000 jobs added uh, a month uh, over the the most of last year. Now, the employment market has softly landed. Uh, 200,000 a month is roughly what we were Tracking at pre-pandemic and and for several years preceding that, uh, it's really pretty close to that range. Uh, of course, at the very beginning, uh, 20, uh, 20 some thousand, twenty some million jobs were lost, and and there was much higher rates, monthly rates of people returning to work. Um, so the employment market was um, having four or five, six, seven hundred thousand uh, dollars, seven hundred thousand jobs about that it's come down to two hundred thousand I would say it has softly landed whereas inflation has softly climbed down it has not yet landed two two percent is the landing spot it's announced it it precedes all of this it hasn't changed uh after two percent is achieved then maybe there's a time to revisit hey it doesn't need to be two percent is two to two and a half percent is Two and a quarter to two and three quarters percent, all good. Uh, but until you've achieved two percent, you're not going to declare the landing achieved. Uh, so I, I think we'll, we'll get new uh, monthly employment numbers tomorrow, and those will not reflect these most recent. Uh, announced job cuts, uh, but uh, you know it's a, expected to be a positive number again. Uh, if it isn't, if it's the first month uh, since 2019 or, or late 2020 where there were uh, jobs lost in a month, then that will uh, affect the probability of that interest rate cut happening a little bit quicker.
0: And, well, I think there's also another thing that I'm thinking about here is, you know, the last couple of years have been sort of like breathlessly watching each, each meeting. E- e- the transcripts are getting scrutinized. I'm hoping that if we, you know, if there is less activity, uh, you know, maybe it takes a while for the cuts. Maybe, that maybe these, uh, maybe his conferences become a little more what they, what I feel they kind of should be, which is regular, steady as she goes, non-events. And if that happens, do you think that 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 sort of will tamp down that volatility that we have seen in in the last uh, couple of years every time he speaks, the market does these gyrations?
1: Yeah. uh, I mean, I think there are algorithms that that are in part responsible for that. You see the market having recovered quite a bit uh, today as we speak. Uh, compared to what it lost uh, after the the news came out, so you know the volatility has been you know largely within one or two percent and quickly recovered at least uh, in this in this case because the almost everything that you can look at for the economic picture is uh, doing very well and the ability. Of the narrative that uh, the economy is is in trouble or it's about to hit recession, obviously there are some you know political points that are trying to be gained by by pushing that narrative, uh, but uh, it's it's not the case. It's not the case.
0: Well, let's move away from the macro and in, into the specific. Uh, you know, we've got. Big, big things to look forward to. Uh, After market close today, with uh, with some earnings that I'm sure Dylan and the crew are going to talk about on tomorrow's show. But I want to take a look at one that reported this morning. It's uh, it's Peloton, and listeners know me. uh, I love to listen to an earnings call. The Peloton call uh, felt a little defeated. I mean, the numbers weren't bad. They're they're trimming some losses. That's awesome. But you've got the CEO that came along to turn it around, Barry McCarthy, and the turn just isn't quite turning. Uh, you know, the the market doesn't like gloom; they responded poorly to that. Have, are you watching this one at all? What do you think?
1: I'm not watching it because it's a, essentially a consumer electronics company, and that's a poor place to find uh, good long-term returns. Uh, It's not a well-run company. Uh, It it has not been. Uh, That's not uh, McCarthy's fault. He uh, came in and found this uh, company that needed to downsize dramatically and and reverse uh, heavy losses. And the heavy, heavy, heavy losses have, have been reversed, but it's not really Making money, I don't want to stomp on a company that's already, you know, suffered what ninety eight percent declines from the the high uh, in its in its stock. Uh, so it's it's a consumer electronics company that doesn't have a differentiating factor that makes it interesting.
0: Push back there because I'm not entirely sure it's a consumer electronics company because I feel like it's it's kind of a membership company. I mean, originally, yeah, totally consumer electronics, but and 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 the instructors. But as time goes on, it's more of a it's more of a membership. It's more of a almost not, it's not quite a social media, but it's a, or a or a streaming, but it's got a taste of that. I mean, they have the recent deal with uh, with TikTok. I mean, I feel like there's something here in terms of the membership, but I also see that their churn rate is up over 7%. So I'm wondering about that. But is is the future of it more as a, as a service than as a consumer electronics company?
1: Well, uh, let's say it's a membership company. It's got to take members from other uh, similar offerings, gyms. Um, and, and, you know, it just, that doesn't Dramatically grow. There was a, a vision, a belief during COVID that everybody's life was going to change and was going to revolve around in-home uh, athletic uh, exercise. Uh, but that that hasn't really been the case, uh, at least as experienced by Peloton. Uh, and you know, it's not a value company because it's not earning money. It's not a growth company because it's still seeing. Declining revenue, Uh, and it's 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 a it's a company that has an offering that many people love, and the people who love it have probably largely found it by now, and I don't know what's going to make a difference for all the people who haven't tried it or who tried it and left. I don't I don't see. I don't see what they have to offer that isn't largely available from many, many other places.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things I'm going to watch with with the Vision Pro is to see what what Apple does with, with fitness. Because, I mean, it's sort of an interesting thing because you had Lululemon tried to do that by buying the mirror. There's definitely companies are trying to figure out the future of virtual fitness. And, you know, a lot of different swings are being taken, so it's interesting. But I want to talk to you about one other thing, and this is something I'm sort of like puzzling around in my mind lately, which with Peloton, I knew a lot of people got super into it, uh, before the pandemic and during, and they talked about their Peloton streak all the time. And the word streak I hear everywhere lately. So people have Duolingo streaks, uh, Snapchat. uh, Teenagers very worried about losing the streak. You've got people with wordle streaks that, you know, sort of have this anxiety about that, but also love it. It's what drives uh, the huge growth of the games at New York Times. So everybody's kind of like a lot of businesses are banking on this streak trend. But every time I see a trend, I get like, oh, when's this trend going to end? Are you a person who has any, do you have anything in your life that you have a streak on? And do you feel like this is a, a trend that's continuing to grow?
1: I don't know, waking up, e- eating, <laughs> uh, drinking coffee, I think. I don't know. I don't know, I don't know what, coffee streak. <laughs> don't, what my streak is on drinking coffee, but I put it up against uh, everybody, basically. I get it. Yeah. I'd, and you need a, a psychiatrist or, or a neurologist to explain why that is such an effective motivating factor. Uh, in the psyche, uh, but it's uh, look. Uh, this is the most common New Year's resolution: is to get started on on exercising and and to maintain it. And it's the the most easily dropped. Uh, so uh, great for people who have uh, any kind of uh, healthy streak, including using Peloton, uh, if they can. Uh, Leverage that to get people to uh, lead healthier lives, great. Uh, but, uh, you know, they're just one of many options for that.
0: Yeah, well, streaks can be positive and negative. Thanks for your time today, Bill. Thank you. We talk about a lot of stocks on the show, but it's just a peek at the Motley Fool's investing universe. This year, we're rolling out a new offering. It's called Epic Bundle. The service includes seven stock recommendations every month, model portfolios, and stock rankings, all based on your investor type. We're offering Epic Bundle to Motley Fool Money listeners at a reduced rate as a thanks for listening to the show. So for more information, head to fool.com slash epic 198. We'll also include a link in the show notes for you. Up next, Mary Long and Matt Frankel check in on some buy now, pay later companies and what the rising use of the services means for the economy. If you buy stock in a buy now, pay later
2: company now, will you actually get paid later? Here to check in on the status of buy now, pay later products is Motley Fool contributor Matt Frankel. Matt, thanks for joining me today. Hey,
3: Mary. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here.
2: Glad to have you. So I was surprised to learn that BNPL lenders have actually been around for a decade. I think that surprise largely came from the fact that 2020 and 2021 really stick out in my mind as like the peak moment for BNPL. Yet we're kind of in a different moment now. Klarna in 2021 was which it's privately traded, but it was valued at $45.6 billion in 2021. Now it's not at its lows, but it's still a far cry from that big number. Uh, its most recent valuation placed the company at $7.85 billion. A firm stock kind of followed a similar story. It's, uh, it's risen above its 2023 lows, but it's still pretty distant from that 2021 high. Where are we in the BNPL hype cycle?
3: Well, the hype surrounding the stocks has, has certainly died down, but you could say that about pretty much every other fintech company, not just Buy Now Pay Later. If you look at PayPal, Block, they're all trading at you know eighty percent less than their their all time highs during the peak of the hype. But the business wise, I don't know if it's fair to call Buy Now Pay Later you know hype because more people than ever are using it. Um, just looking at a firm's recent numbers because they're publicly traded, it's really easy to get a read on the industry through them. Almost 17 million active customers, 28 percent more um, merchandise volume in the first fiscal first quarter than a year ago, and their revenue is up by 37 percent. And their margins are looking good, and you know, more people than ever are using this. So, buy now, pay later as a concept is clearly here to stay. Now, whether or not the stocks are going to reward that is, you know, another matter.
2: A firms, let's just hone in on a firm because you mentioned that their biggest competitors aren't solely in the buy now pay later space. There's Apple, PayPal, even Afterpay, which is owned by Block. They've all kind of got their hands in in different products as well. So based on what you were just saying about a firm and how it's kind of growing over time, is buy now pay later viable as a standalone business, or is it most successful kind of when it's offering other products as well?
3: I mean, there's advantages to both, but I would actually make the argument that a standalone business is best for buy now, pay later, and I would use PayPal kind of as an example there because when you think of PayPal, they're not the only company that was doing online checkout and payment processing and things like that, but they were the big pure play that was laser focused on it. And now there's a PayPal checkout button on every website you visit, mm-hmm. so it's a standalone payment processor as opposed to some of the other ones, and. It that allowed it to really leverage its relationships, say we're all in on this and and build a network. and we're seeing that with a firm. I mean, a firm checkout is now available on Amazon. It's on Walmart in the store. you can do a firm checkout in a lot of locations. And I would so I would argue that the standalone model is actually an advantage for a firm as opposed to some of those others that you mentioned.
2: A firm's self-stated goal is to, quote, deliver honest financial products that improve lives. What outside of Buy Now Pay Later does a firm and even Klarna for that matter, what else do they offer?
3: Well, a firm's offering the affirm card now, which they call the future of the business. It's essentially a credit card product that gives you certain options. To you know, pay over time, pay in four installments, things like that. Uh, the four installments at zero percent interest is the big differentiator. But you can treat it as a regular credit card. They want to offer a sort of high yield savings account, which I'm not totally sold on, if I'm being honest. But the Affirm card is a, a really interesting product. It's a pretty small part of the business right now. But it's a higher-margin product. You know, 86% of its loans are interest-bearing, which is not the general makeup of a firm. It made up only 4% of its merchandise volume in the most recent quarter, but accounted for 7% of its revenue. So, as that grows, that could be really interesting. Does it improve people's lives? That's a tough argument to make when you're talking about something that puts people into debt. But it can make financial lives easier. I'd buy that story.
2: I think it's easy to focus on like the dangers of buy now pay later, this fit debt, phantom debt kind of and people not fully realizing the debt that they're in, the lack of regulation in the space maybe compared to credit card companies, but a firm CEO Max Levichin really seems to have like a strong mission-driven vision for the company that hits on the, you know, making lives better piece. What is that vision? Like do you find that compelling?
3: Yes and no. Like like I said, the the savings account side of it, I really don't. But that's a crowded space already, Mm -hmm. and there are a lot of fintechs that do it very well and have trouble gaining traction as it is. So that part of the business, I'm not that sold on. The Affirm card does open up a lot of interesting possibilities, just because when you think of what Affirms normally used for, before we recorded this, I mentioned my wife used it to buy her Peloton. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's usually historically been used for big ticket items like that. And this opens it up to certain verticals that were not part of its ecosystem before, say restaurants, say, um, you know, spending on groceries. Uh, You could, if you have a big grocery purchase and say you're hosting Thanksgiving dinner, you can split it into four payments. That's an area that wasn't historically part of the buy now pay later landscape. So I do find that kind of compelling. I don't really focus as much on the dangers of debt because the numbers tell us not to. Mm. The whole reason that a firm and all the other ones, you know, tanked in 2022, 2023 was there was this fear that we were gonna see this rise surge in delinquencies, right? Because of all this this phantom debt and because their credit underwriting standards aren't as high as everyone else's and things like that. But what I think the market missed is that they underwrite based on a single purchase. Not just a blanket credit line; it's a totally different ballgame to assess whether somebody's going to make the payments on their Peloton bike than to just give them a ten thousand dollar line of credit. And I think that's what the market got wrong, and the numbers are showing that. Hmm. Not only have a firm's delinquency rates not exceeded pre-pandemic levels yet they're below what we're seeing from most credit card companies. Um, SoFi, which is which is known for having very affluent clients and high credit score and things like that. Their loan delinquency rate is a full percentage point above a firm's. Uh, so that that's one thing that I found really interesting in the data because it's turning out not to be like this terrifying type of debt. It's people are financing one purchase and then paying for it.
2: Mm. A firm's been growing customers steadily, but like, you know, you've mentioned at, at Walmart, at Amazon, there are different payment options available. So is there any real stickiness to a firm in p- particular? Or if Klarna is also offered, what's stopping me from switching between the two?
3: it it's all about exclusive partnerships. I mentioned Peloton. Peloton can't offer Klarna as a checkout option
2: because
3: mm. it's an affirm, you know, it's an affirm customer. It you know, when I go to checkout online, I see a PayPal button. They have exclusive agreements with a lot of of merchants. And a firm is doing a great job of leveraging that. So the product itself is a commodity. Any any type of credit is is a commodity. There's you know, that's why Visa and Mastercard and and American Express they charge roughly the same swipe fees to merchants, Mm -hmm. and why you know Block and Adyen and all them charge the same payment processing fees to merchants because there's no real big differentiators. It's all about exclusive relationships and who gets the better exclusive relationships because they offer the more compelling products and the you know the best functionality and things like that. That. So that's what a firm's been doing to differentiate itself is really improving its functionality compared to peers. I can't tell you where I could go pay with Afterpay right now. I have absolutely no idea, but I could tell you, you know, ten websites where I could go pay with a firm.
2: So I want to get to after pay too, but before we do that just let's stick on a firm for one second it's not yet profitable but it did produce positive operating income for the first time for the last two quarters the company reports earnings on February 8th we're recording this on january 31st what are you looking for
3: I'm watching that delinquency rate I mentioned that the delinquency rate has it's kind of reverted back to the pre-pandemic normals it's 30 day delinquency rate is 3.2% right now it was 3.3% in 2019 so n- no sign of trouble yet that could change we're just coming off of the the crucial holiday spending quarter so that tends to be you know a seasonally very busy time of year for a firm and people if they do get in over their heads in debt i could you know it happens during the holidays a lot of people could tell you that so I'm watching the delinquency rate really closely, but if they can keep that low, this will be a profitable business. It's just it's a matter of time, but that's still a big if at this point. We haven't really, it hasn't really been tested in a recession or anything like that.
2: So you teased out afterpay for a minute there. Block acquired the company in February 2022 for 29 billion dollars. You kind of hinted at this, but how has that turned out for Block so far?
3: Well, just to clarify for because people are just listening to this, I did just roll my eyes when you said after pay <laughs> and block in in the acquisition. they clearly overpaid for it. The short answer is the acquisitions turned out okay. It is a positive contributor to the company's numbers. They broke out the numbers in in the third quarter, which is the most recent we have data for. Afterpay generated $129 million of revenue in the third quarter for Block. $94 of that was gross profit, so a pretty strong margin there. That's about 5% of the total of the company. That didn't really justify that price tag. But, to be fair, it was an all-stock deal. They paid for Afterpay in stock, not cash. So They didn't actually pay $29 billion. If you look at Block's share price today, it was closer to $8 billion that they actually ended up paying in terms of the value of the stock. But they clearly overpaid for what this business is bringing to the table. I think it makes their ecosystem stronger. Does it make it $8 billion stronger? No.
2: Thinking about buy-now-pay-later companies and and their competition maybe with credit cards, are there are there any pure-play BNPL companies that you see as being ripe for acquisition by a bigger player, perhaps a credit card company?
3: That's tough. I think Klarna would be the easiest, just because it's a private company, and Mm. you know, there's a lot more wiggle room there when it comes to a deal. Right now, a firm's market value is about thirteen billion dollars. So realistically, someone would have to pay like seventeen to twenty billion dollars to acquire it. I don't see it happening, but it's not out of the question. PayPal's been trying to break into buy now pay later forever. Mm. They have eleven and a half billion dollars of cash on their balance sheet and the ability to borrow money pretty cheaply. A big tech company like Alphabet that has been, you know, trying to build out its fintech offerings, uh, could be a good good fit for a firm if its numbers keep going in the right direction and if it really proves that this business model can survive no matter what the economy is doing. So, I not want to say ripe for acquisition just because I do think that's a steep price tag to pay and. I think there is an afterpay effect in the market, if you will, where mm-hmm. you, know, you know companies are worried about how much it's actually going to contribute to their bottom line. But Affirm, I think people would be buying the relationships more than anything else, and it would be very valuable, especially to a company that's struggling to figure out the next step, like a PayPal.
2: And some of the bigger players in this space, the more diversified players, Apple, PayPal, they've been experimenting with this for a while. But if you're a Visa or MasterCard, you're a massive company. Are you threatened at all by these buy now, pay later companies? Or do you think that they see this as technology that they themselves could replicate if they really wanted to? It depends how much they end up leaning into
3: the card products, right? Because. Mm. To be able to use the Affirm card at any retailer, it has to be a Visa or MasterCard product. So, If the future of Affirm and the future of Buy Now Pay Later are card-based products, like Affirm's management seems to think, then they're a help to Visa and MasterCard, Mm -hmm. they're not a competitor. Right now, buy now, pay later is sort of a competitor because you're getting around the traditional credit card or or anything like that system. But as the if the Affirm card really starts to gain traction and other you know similar card products start to gain traction, that's a net positive for Visa and Mastercard, not a negative.
2: Matt, thanks so much for taking the time to talk through this with me today. Really interesting space to keep an eye on.
3: Yeah, of course we could talk buy now, pay later for an hour, and uh, <laughs> we, we did it in 13 minutes, so that's pretty awesome.